Today's episode of the Girl Which Way Show is brought to you by my extended family in Ghana, Queen Madam Don Sutherland, my girls Talata, Teresa, Priscilla, Nazi, Princess, Frantina, Michelle, Vera, Grace, Portia, Blessing, Charlotte, Adiza, and Boatwin. The CEO of the organization that hosted me, OIM Ghana, Frederick Asidu, my favorite photographer, the one and only Debonair Noah, my favorite pastor, Pastor Bibi, my black beauty, Matilda, my favorite translator, Giddy, and all of the other beautiful and resilient people of Ghana I met along the way. Thank you for giving me real roots in the motherland and taking such good care of me. I love you all forever. Welcome to a special episode, our 10th episode of the Girl Which Way podcast, the show that exists because life is a journey, but you still need direction. Grab your girls and get ready because each episode we'll be talking about our real life issues, answering questions and building solid relationships with one another as we heal and learn. I'm your host, your girl, Shalia Vinny, and today's show is a special show all about my experience in Ghana for the last 10 days. We'll discuss the ins and outs of the trip from prepping to must-knows and how it changed me forever. For those of you that don't know, I was invited to speak to the youth in Ghana earlier this year, and I happily accepted. I had all these ideas of the motherland in my mind and what it was going to be like, but it really wasn't like anything I'd expected. First things first, when prepping, you have to get a negative COVID test. I had to have a negative COVID test 72 hours before departure, another one when I landed in Ghana, and one more 72 hours before leaving Ghana. Yes, a lot. (laughs) I had to get a yellow fever vaccine to enter Ghana because it's the only vaccine that's required to go, but I actually ended up getting a few more like polio, hepatitis A, typhoid, and meningococcal. I was also given malaria pills to take for 19 days, starting two days before I left for the trip and continuing once I got back. I was advised to bring DEET, bug repellent, and sunscreen, and that was pretty much it. I researched things I might need on my own and found that there were a few items that I should be bringing. They proved to be life-saving for me. I bought an electrical outlet voltage converter, so when you leave the U.S., the outlets are different. If you want to plug any of your stuff in, like chargers or phones or laptops, it may prove to be a little rough, but not with this thing. I used it on the plane and when I got to the hotel and it worked like a charm. Never leave home without it. I also bought a small portable charger to use when we were out on the road. And let me tell you, it was a lifesaver. My phone seemed to die faster than usual. And I'm not really sure if this is all because of the pictures I was taking or the heat, but it died quickly. This little goodie kept me charged all day. I would simply charge it every night and carry it in my bag the next day. I, of course, bought an airplane pillow and wired earphones because I didn't want anything extra I needed to charge. So my pods were a no-no. I flew Delta and um, what is this called? Um, Delta and Air France. Yeah, Air France is operated by Delta. So I flew them round trip. So I was able to take two check bags for free. And that's pretty much the gist of getting going. The airports were actually easier than I expected. 
Leaving LAX was a bit of a frustration, but I mean, isn't it always? I parked my car at a close airport shuttle hotel service and went to LAX via the shuttle. The lines weren't very bad, but the agents processing us in when we got to our airline were the frustration. They kept demanding our negative COVID test and even questioned the test legitimacy at one point, even though two of us had Kaiser negative PCR test. Ugh. Once we finally got through them, it seems we were on our plane in no time. And man, were we on our plane for a long time. It took about 10 and a half hours to land in Paris after leaving LA. We arrived in Paris at 11.15 a.m. their time, and it was a beautiful, crisp day. They fed us twice on the flight, and both times I enjoyed the meal. Once dinner was a pasta, and breakfast was delicious croissants and fruits. We found our gate and hung out in Paris for about an hour before getting on our plane. The flight from Paris to Accra was about five hours and some change, close to six. We arrived in Accra at 6.35 p.m. their time. I sat by the window and watched the flight plan and the ground underneath us gloriously change as we arrived on the continent of Africa. My heart shifted and I felt overwhelmed with a joy I'll never be able to explain. I could not wait to land. When we landed at Katoka Airport, I wanted to push everyone out the way and just get off the plane. It was quite an ordeal. We walked off the plane and straight into the airport where there was a team waiting for us and asking to download an app on our phones and sign up. We had no clue what this was for because we'd already paid for our COVID test online prior to arriving. Well, it turns out that when you get your COVID test, you will be able to review your results through this app. So after entering your info at this checkpoint, you are then escorted further down the hall where they check passports and usher you into the COVID screening room. This girl did a COVID nasal swab and told us to go and retrieve our luggage while we waited the 15 to 20 minutes for the results. We went to grab our luggage and kept checking the app for negative results. Finally, they showed up and we were able to check out of the airport and go to our waiting ride. Walking outside was hilarious because by now it was 8.30 p.m. And as soon as we walked out of the airport, the heat just smacked us in the face. Like, oh my goodness. I remember saying, uh-uh, if, this, if it's this hot at 8.30 p.m., how hot is it going to be during the day? We got into our waiting vehicle and this is when the trip got interesting. The plan was to go to Kumasi, Ghana when we arrived because our friend, Queen Don, lives there and had arranged for us to speak to some youth in schools before heading to Accra, our final destination. The thing is, our flight landed so late that there were no more flights available to take us to Kumasi, so we had no choice but to drive it. Now, for those of you that don't know, Accra Airport to Kumasi is a little over a four-hour drive. It's like the distance from LA to Vegas. What nobody told us was that the roads are treacherous. I am not making this up. <laughs> the roads aren't very good along this path. They're bumpy and windy. And did I mention dark? Our driver was a speed racer too. I will admit I was really scared, mostly because it was too dark to see. And what I could see was that there was no guardrail to the right side of our car. So if we went one wrong way, we could fall off the edge of the mountain or cliff or whatever we were traveling on. It was high. That's all I can tell you. Cars passed each other on one-way roads and darted in and out of lanes just before the oncoming traffic of the opposite lane hit them. <laughs> then I kept wondering if New York is really the city that never sleeps because let me tell you, it was 1 a.m. and there were people everywhere. Stores were open, kids were walking the streets, street vendors were selling their merchandise, and it appeared that the entire place was alive and jumping. We finally made it to Don's house and her houseboys and security team led us to our guest house. I remember lying down for bed at 2.35 a.m. and we were up first thing 6 a.m. to go to school to speak. Don's house is a beautiful oasis. 
It's massive and decorated with fine art that she has spent her whole lifetime collecting. There is a big, beautiful yard equipped with a fountain and a pool. The porch stretched around the entire main house and gave you access to the most beautiful sunrises and sunsets. I woke up early that morning and walked the path from the guest house to the main house until I found the side stair entry and just stood there and looked at the African sunrise, breathed in the fresh air, and just listened to the sounds. I literally could have stood there all day. Her home is absolutely the stuff dreams are made of. It was so hard to leave. So Don's driver, Kasi, took us to the school where we met the students and headmistress and spoke to the classes. They had a welcome team for us, and our picture-slash-sign was hanging on the school's entrance to announce our arrival. I had the best time with those babies. Though my organization um, was there, you know, I was there through Vinnie Girl, Inc., but I was also there as Shalia Vinnie. So through my organizations, I was able to gift a couple hundred students with needed supplies like pens, paper, toothpaste, toothbrushes, lotion, soap, deodorant, lip balm, sanitary napkins, and even candy because you got to bring candy for the kids. They were so grateful that it made my heart explode. I visited the school and town library that my friend Don helped to put there, where two of my books are, by the way. Looked at how my friend Don and her amazing team has just upgraded the facility with new toilets and water and even added a lunch program, and I was just in awe. Before we left, we were gifted presents from the headmistress and the kids thanked us. We went to lunch to at a beautiful place called um, Ike's. It has its own pond and the food is absolutely great. I ordered a traditional dish called Banku and tilapia in an Oreo shake because, of course, <laughs> it was all excellent. When we arrived back at Don's house, we were greeted by the children from the school. Don is a prominent figure in the community and she takes amazing care of these girls, making sure they have everything they need. They often stopped by after school and they came for sure because they knew we were there. So they wanted to talk to us further. They brought their copies of my little girl book and we had intimate discussions about life. Later in the evening, the chief of Kumasi came for a visit with us and offered us free land in Kumasi so that we would have roots there. He was an amazingly kind and generous soul. I liked him. <laughs> the next morning, we left early again to go and see the land before accepting it. We drove and drove some of the most undeveloped roads before arriving there, but it was beautiful. On the way back, we stopped at a new birthing center named after Don's mother and more schools that she and her team have upgraded and made available for the children. I just kept feeling like I wasn't doing nearly enough. The rest of our trip in Kumasi was more of the girls coming over and us just spending valuable time with them. I also had Don's dressmaker come to the house and measure me to make me custom dresses. We were there from Sunday to Tuesday, and then Kessie dropped us off at the airport. It's like a one-room airport, and we flew Africa Airlines for what was supposed to be a 40-minute flight, but was actually 26 minutes to Accra. We came in one day sooner than we initially planned, so we stayed at the Airport View Hotel for one night. We had dinner, went to bed, grabbed breakfast, and were picked up by our travel partner, Fred, the CEO of OIM Ghana. Fred is quite possibly the nicest person you'll ever meet in your life. We didn't know him before this trip, and he reached out to my friend and travel partner, Lori, on Facebook and arranged everything about the trip. We looked him up and checked references like you wouldn't believe, and everyone said he was legit and trustworthy. He was. Fred arrived in a van with our faces on it and took us to our final hotel, the Moven Pick, to check in before starting our day. Now, if you haven't seen the Moven Pick, check the Girl Which Way pages on Facebook or IG. It's beautiful and excellently rated. I loved it there. 
Fred took us to the Hearts of Ghana Orphanage where we spoke to the youth and donated food and supplies. We saw monkeys on this drive and were able to feed them. We went to this beautiful bridge surrounded by a lake called the Oxambo Bridge and took pictures and came back to our hotel for dinner. The next couple of days was more of the same, speaking and prepping for the conference. Every day we were up early to go somewhere or speak to someone. We were even in a parade, waving to the town and children in anticipation for the conference. We stopped and took pictures with the billboards with our faces on them and really got immersed with the local rhythm and culture. We also visited landmarks like Independence Square and the mausoleum of the first Ghana president and went to the market to shop. All the while, we had our amazing photographer slash videographer, Noah, and told to capture it all. Finally, conference day one arrived, and I was so nervous. I was going to be speaking to the youth ages 18 to 35 about relationships. Would they understand? How do I not say American colloquialisms that they may not understand? What if they don't participate with me? If there, is there going to be a language barrier? I mean, they speak English, but they also speak a beautiful language called Chi. Wait, what if no one shows up? <laughs> Finally, it was my turn to speak. I was dead last because Fred said I would be the headliner. No pressure, right? I got up there and did my thing to a full house, standing room only, and to my pure joy, the audience went crazy for me. They were loud, cheered through my discussions, shouted, and at the end, there were so many questions the host had to limit them for the sake of time. I received a standing ovation and a line of admirers who wanted to take pictures with me and have me to sign there with this ring books. I was so happy and relieved. Day two of the conference was a ton of fun as well, but instead of speaking to them again, I opted for a more intimate discussion this time. Because so many people had unanswered questions from yesterday, I wanted to give them the opportunity to ask. We did the most amazing Q&A with the ladies and the men. It was eye-opening and it was amazing. We left the conference on a real high, job well done, success. We dropped knowledge and gems and we even dropped cash prizes. Lots of the audience went home went home with cash and more donations like pens, paper, and school supplies. Monday morning, we got up early and headed to the point of no return, the day I had been waiting for. Finally, I was going to see the anguish of my ancestors in real life. I was not ready. The drive to Amina Coast took about two hours and some change, and then when we arrived, I knew we were standing on sacred ground. You can feel them. I could feel them everywhere. I saw their scratches on the walls and imagine how hard you'd have to scratch to do that. I saw the male and female housing. I saw the ball and chain, which is a place where they tie women up by their neck or their hand or their feet and keep them there through rain or shine until they died for refusing to be raped. I saw how they didn't get to be bathed for three, six, or nine months at a time while waiting for the ships. They reminded us how they were branded like cattle and sold off, how some of them died before leaving or during the journey, and how they threw them overboard. It changed me forever. Until you see this in person, you will never understand. My soul felt so helpless. I, I could just feel them all around me. I can only compare it to the feeling of the Holy Ghost. You know that warm, tingling feeling you feel in your soul when you're at church and the Spirit hits you? It was like that, just much stronger. It felt peaceful, though. I stood at the top of the castle and looked out as far as I could to the sea, tears streaming down my face, and vowed to be everything I could for them. I apologized for what they went through at the hands of evil and demonic people. I asked them to help guide me. I felt they were with me so strongly, but it was a really quiet ride back. 
Today's episode of the Girl Which Way Show is brought to you by my extended family in Ghana, Queen Madame Don Sutherland, my girls Talata, Teresa, Priscilla, Nazi, Princess, Franktina, Michelle, Vera, Grace, Portia, Blessing, Charlotte, Adiza, and Boatwin. The CEO of the organization that hosted me, OIM Ghana, Frederick Asidu, my favorite photographer, the one and only Debonair Noah, my favorite pastor, Pastor Bibi, my black beauty, Matilda, my favorite translator, Giddy, and all of the other beautiful and resilient people of Ghana I met along the way. Thank you for giving me real roots in the motherland and taking such good care of me. I love you all forever. So we've been talking about my trip to Ghana and how amazing it was, but let's talk about the fun quirks I noticed. Here are five quirks that I have to point out. They drive fast. In case you don't know, I love to rent cars when I travel to new places and find my way around. I mean, within limits, of course, but this is not a place to do that. You need someone from Ghana to drive you around in Ghana. They drive very fast, like 100 miles per hour. Seriously. If you've ever been to Mexico, you know they drive fast there, right? Okay, well, Africa is like Mexico on steroids. They drive fast and it's scary because you never know if someone's going to stop. There aren't any stop signs. Tailgating is a big thing there. You always feel like someone's going to sideswipe you. And horns. Horns are a way of life. Here, you only use your horn if you need it very sparingly. But there, you can't drive without it. When in traffic, you hear horns blaring from every direction. Did I mention traffic? New Yorkers, California babes, you think we've got traffic? (laughs) You have not seen gridlock until you drive in Africa. It's crowded, crowded. The food is spicy and real. The food is delicious. It tastes nothing like our food because there are no added preservatives or crap in it. Syrup looked like honey. It was so thick and delicious. I had pineapple juice every day because it was the best I'd ever had in my life. It's freshly juiced each day. The orange juice isn't even the same color as ours. It's real and delicious as well. My pancakes were smaller and flatter than what I'd ever had in the U.S. You can taste the difference of what real food is supposed to taste like. It is spicy, though. Most of the food there has some kick to it. I'm not into spicy food, and even when I asked for light spice, it was still noticeable. Not a big deal, because the flavors were out of this world. Even when we got KFC, it tasted nothing like our KFC flavor-wise. They've got good food. Number three. They sell on the streets. When you're driving down the street, there are vendors everywhere selling everything from fabric to water and chips. It's actually kind of nice because you can get dehydrated quickly. And when you decide you're thirsty while at the light, there are a bunch of beautiful people who would just walk right up to your window to give you fresh, cold bottled water. It's dope, honestly. You never have to leave your car. I mean, who needs convenience stores, right? (laughs) Number four, they worship just like we do in the U.S. at black churches. I went to a few church services and let me tell you, black church is a black church. It was the same. The music, the message. Honestly, the only thing different was probably the praise. They are so grateful for everything. They have little compared to what we are used to and take for granted, but they are rich in Thanksgiving. It was so inspiring and it forced me to dig deep and want to change and be better. Number five, there aren't really very many obese people. Perhaps it's because the food is real, or maybe it's because everyone is so active, but I barely saw any obese people during the 10 days I was there. It sounds funny, but everywhere you look in the U.S., you see obese people. 
This is not true out there. The ladies had beautiful bodies, arms, and legs with plump backsides. I mean, they literally had perfect bodies. Seriously. So I went to Africa, and honestly, I never wanted to leave. It's so hard to come back to the U.S. after being there. I felt free and unjudged in a way that I have never been before. I wore my scarf wrapped around my head with earrings on and went to breakfast. I wouldn't do that here in the U.S. because we're told it's ghetto. But over there, it's our culture. We don't wear our scarves to cover a bad hair day, by the way. We wear it because the belief is we need to protect our crown. Your head is your crown. We got pulled over by the police a few times at checkpoints, and we were all in the car like, put your hands up and be ready, (laughs) because this is how we're trained in the U.S., But it was such a different exchange there. The passenger was moving around and helping to find insurance and paperwork. And in the U.S., doing the bare minimum can get you shot. We explained this all to them when they questioned what was wrong with us, and they couldn't even believe it. There is a solidarity between the people that is so refreshing and beautiful to see. It's like they all work together with and for each other. We often have a crab in a barrel mentality here. Everyone wants to be the captain, but there they share duties. The things we care about, they don't care about, whether it's social media or our way of life. They believe in modesty and discretion. Ladies carry themselves as ladies. I didn't understand why the little girls in the schools all have shaved heads. Then they explain that they do this to prevent competition, bullying, and shifts of focus to things that don't matter. I understand this so much because I've grown up in the U.S. Some of the girls had found IG on their phones and they told us about how they started to change and act more sexually. So they took their phones away to cut them off from the U.S. world. It made me think about all that's wrong with our world and all that we normalize and it made me sick. Ghana made me grateful and proud of who I am. It showed me a culture and emphasized how we lack culture in the U.S. People say that black people have their own culture, but it's something we've created out of necessity because we had nothing else to go by. And while dance and music and our general swag, if you will, is synonymous with black people, it's not really our culture. For example, we see Muslims wearing hijabs. Hispanics have their foods and traditions like quinceañeras. Asian Americans have their cultural belief systems and practices. But what do we really have that ties us to the motherland? We don't even really know our identities because our identities were stolen from us. Visiting the motherland gave me the same, you know, uh, treatment that some of these other cultures get to revel in, like they've been to their home. And I got to have some of that back. Africa taught me that I am not African because I was born in Africa. I am African because Africa was born in me. Thank you to the beautiful people of Ghana. I love you all so much. And to all of my brothers and sisters, you definitely need to go. Today's show was brought to you by the beautiful and magical people of Ghana. Please rate the show on your favorite streaming platform and share it with one person who you think needs to hear it and ask them to do the same. Remember. Good, better, best. Never let it rest. To your good is better and your better is best. Until next time, your friend and constant motivator, Shalia. Bye. Bye.